Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason joined alongside with Ben Mandel and John Pauline. Guys, let's get this rocking with one of the greatest first series any rookie has ever had. Right, we got to start off hot. Blue Jays' Davis Schneider, the second baseman, the 28th overall prospect in the MLB pipeline. He came up this weekend series against the Red Sox, and he just went off. He's the first player in MLB history to have nine hits, two home runs in those nine hits as well. Through his first three career games, and he was just insane, especially when the Blue Jays really needed him after getting embarrassed by the uh, the Orioles in the series prior to that. The Blue Jays, a team that started off pretty hot after the All-Star break and then kind of faltered. You know, the Yankees and Red Sox not really nipping at them, but just they needed to win some games. And on top of that, they knocked the Red Sox down a bit, knocked the Red Sox back into last place. Just an incredible start to a career for Schneider. But, you know, there's always two sides to every coin. And Reds rookie pitcher, Lion Richardson, happened to get the uh, the exact opposite type of debut, right? In his first two career pitches, not well batters, but pitches went back-to-back home runs and he's also the first to ever do that since that stuff was tracked which goes back to 1999 for this stat but I'd assume we would know about it if it if it happened before then too so not just the two battles but the first two pitches he ever threw went to -to back-to-back home runs so at the same time we saw like the height of rookie achievement we just saw the embarrassment and, you know, a very, a very big welcome to the show moment for these guys. Well, think about how rare it is to give up two home runs in the first two pitches of a game, right? Usually the leadoff hitter is going to take a strike. Like you're, you're settling in. You have to throw two absolute meatballs for those two guys to be swinging away first pitch and crushing it out of the yard. So uh, I was going to stream, you know, Ryan Richardson for fantasy this week and on Sunday just because I thought, oh, rookie pitcher, Washington. I decided not to because Washington has been burning me fantasy-wise. Whether I pick a Washington player or go against Washington as a team, I can't get a read on that. And Ryan Richardson clearly couldn't too. Do you think he still tries to get the ball from his first pitch? even though it was a home run? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I, I think he probably does, but, you know, it's not one of those, like, we'll give you anything for the ball. If you want to be nice and give it back, great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you want to keep it, you know, let's pretend my first pitch was next start. <laughs> Someone might just throw a ball on purpose, so that way that first pitch and that first ball that they have doesn't have a bad memory to it. Yeah, you're right. I think the only thing worse than, you know, giving up two f- home runs in your first two pitches is your first pitch, you get a comebacker off the dome. I feel like that would be like the absolute worst thing that could happen to you. So, you know, yeah, especially if it's career ending, don't I wish mean, that upon anybody. The closest we saw to something like that was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Adam Greenberg with the Marlins about a decade ago, 2013. He uh, came back after in his first career uh, at bat he got knocked in the head with a pitch and he was out for like a couple of years. I want to say, 
before he's able to build it up and get back. And he had, you know, like a week, 10 long, 10 game long stint back with the Marlins, you know, walked in his first at bat back. Just, you know, really nice story, but these scary things do happen to players. And, you know, it sucks if it happens in your first career at bat or your first career pitch, but, you know, it does happen, sadly. So hopefully Lion Richardson bounces back and hopefully for uh, my Yankees sake, at least Davis Snyder comes back down to earth and the Blue Jays start to fall off a bit more. But uh, speaking of the Yankees, their big uh, free agent signing in the offseason that didn't come from their own team. Carlos Rodon is on the 15 day IL again. Now with a little hammy issue. Uh, the Yankees this season have had a, a penchant for having players play through injury. We see that with LeMayhew. Judge is doing that right now. We know Nestor Cortez was pitching through the most of the season until he went down back in May with an injury he was pitching through since February. Jose Trevino, who went down about two weeks ago out for the year, he was playing with an injury through spring training, and they thought they can just manage it. I'm hoping that's the case with Rodon where he had this lingering issue all year and he tried to pitch through it because, man, did he suck. He literally, in his Yankee career, he's had one good start, just one. And even then, he didn't look great against the Mets, but he's just had one at least half-decent start. And after that, you know, an ERA over seven after six starts is not where you want to be at. Yeah, it's definitely tough, right? And I wonder if this is a move that the Yankees make just to try and maybe push Rodon and give him a bit of a break to try and reset because that's what this seems like. It doesn't really – it seems like they just said, oh, you know, hamstring, oh, injured list. Here you go, 15 days to get right. He did leave his last start early. He left his start on Sunday after two innings. With the, with the yeah, injury issue, it, like, you can visibly see him hurt. Like, they came out and got him from the mound. Still, it's still, to me, it, it just feels like the Yankees and Rodon reached a point where they knew he needed some time off, whether it was because of the injury or not. I'm not saying he's not hurt. I'm saying it just felt like – you know, the Yankees know that they need to fix something because do, whether yeah. he's healthy. He, he had all you of know, April, May, June, and, you know, a good few weeks in July off. So well, exactly. Like and that's why, well, and that's, it's not like he's taxed at this point, but that's why I wonder, you know, this isn't what he was dealing with before. Was this really something that's been nagging him, you know, the whole season or, you know, did Rodon kind of just come back? Wasn't what the Yankees expected. And now they're like, okay, we're going to reset right now because whether Rodon's pitching poorly or not pitching, the Yankees are falling in the standings. So they need to figure something out. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting situation to look out for. He also though, isn't a guaranteed loss on the mound. Luis Severino is. So that's somebody else to look out for. He's got the highest ERA out of all qualified pitchers this season. I think it's approaching eight at this point. Just seems like he's good to get tagged for seven runs every start. So we'll see if he pitches on Wednesday. But, uh, you know, there was a time when Severino was considered, at least by some Yankee fans, not by me, but some, to be kind of the 1A, the 1B to DeGrom's 1A of New York Aces, just to be in that stratosphere. And we've seen how that's shaken out. 
But John, I want to get your thoughts on this. Somebody who's also really struggled this season is Trey Turner, Philly's big uh, free agent signing. He's been pretty terrible. Fans were booing him, and then all of a sudden, you know, they gave him a standing O to kind of cheer his head. This is a very uncharacteristic Philly move. I I just can't believe it's coming out of that city. So how do you feel about giving Trey Turner a standing ovation when he hasn't done anything to earn it? I'm kind of perplexed as to uh, Phillies fans doing this because in the past, you know, they're seen more as a, you know, a tougher fan base. I mean, you had Eagles fans in Philly, you know, throwing snowballs at Santa and they were, and then I think my dad's don't forget the batteries. batteries. Yeah. And I think they were booing kids in an Easter egg hunt because they couldn't find eggs. Like this is a this is a really tough like you know fan base very passionate fan base. Ask and, Carson Wentz. Yeah, but I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, I guess you know trainer's been struggling, and I guess you know somehow I don't even know how it got started, but they gave him the standing ovation, and it, it seemed to work. I mean, that after the standing ovation, I mean, he went for he went four for twelve. He hit a home run. He had two doubles. Even helped the Phillies win against the the Royals. So I mean, maybe he's back now. Maybe all he needed was some love from you know. It's also the Royals, though. Let's. They're still an MLB what it baseball is. The team. Royals. They're still an MLB baseball Swept team. Swept the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are the Mets an MLB baseball team at that point? Yeah, like Mets the are an MLB baseball. Look team. at their roster. It's they traded all those pieces. That starting lineup is still a, an MLB starting lineup. Which, by the way, Brett Beatty optioned to AAA today. If you, really? you didn't see, didn't so that. you know, I mean, I guess they're going to let Vientos rock at third. Beatty's only hitting two twelve this year. He's barely above the Mendoza line. Give so. me Mauricio or give me death. <laughs> Mauricio's not touching the MLB field this season. He's not ready. Let him be ready at some point. Let him get his feet wet. Let him make the team out of spring training next year. But uh, we're getting uh, away from uh, this. So Trey Turner got that standing O. Very weird situation. But uh, an even weirder situation. I don't know if you guys saw this about the Orioles uh, broadcaster, Kevin uh, Kevin Brown. He got suspended by the team because these are the stats he read out on air. There was a graphic before the game that he was talking about. The Orioles were playing the Rays. And he was talking about the Orioles' struggles, right? So the t- the TV producers put out a graphic, and he was reading these. Last 16 series against the Rays, the Orioles are 0-15-1. 15 straight series losses before this season, right? Their last series win was June 23rd to 25th, 2017. This season, the Orioles have three wins in five games. Between 2020 and 2022, they had three total wins in 21 games against the Rays. Those are facts. You know, nothing, you know, any way you cut it, those are the truth, the cold hard truth. And he was suspended for those comments because I guess somebody in the brass didn't like it. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Is Should they rescind the suspension and almost apologize to everybody for being as soft as that is? Because people were kind of viewing the Orioles as America's team, modeled after last year's Mariners, kind of that underdog team that everybody kind of feels good to root for. But then you go and do something like this, and I feel like you lose all goodwill you've built up and kind of become like an enemy that people don't like because you do something stupid like this. Yeah, this this isn't going to stop me from 
rooting for the guys on the field. This isn't going to stop me from liking this Orioles team, and it's not going to lessen my hate for the Yankees. So it doesn't matter, right? Uh, what does it have to look, do with the Yankees? I, well, it's it's a joke, right? <laughs> I mean, but at the end of the day, I don't think this is going to make the Orioles lose any fans, but it is definitely something that's going to make you scratch your head and think, what? As a broadcaster, it's never going to be a situation where we hide the truth or try to make one team look better than another. I don't care if I work for this team. I am never going to leave stats and facts out of the broadcast because my job isn't to make the Orioles look good. My job is to inform the fans and the viewers of what exactly is taking place. Now, Ben, you were a broadcaster – do you feel like you've ever said anything even a little funny that once you said it, you're kind of like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And nobody ever made a comment about it again. Something that you kind of even knowing as you were saying probably shouldn't have said because this guy said something that he probably never thought twice about. Well, no, I've never had a moment where I felt like I said something I shouldn't have, but I mean, there was a moment when I was at school and I, there was two moments, one involving me and one involving one of the guys doing radio with me, not two different occasions. I had mentioned a player being out of a game, didn't disclose the reason or anything. I just said that the player had personal matters going on. The school said to me, I'm not allowed to acknowledge when a player is out of the game. You, you get out of here. If the star player is not in, I'm going to say something. So I did have something like that happen to me. And I did say that to them. I'm like, that's just not going to happen. And they're like, well, then you're not going to be able to do our games. And I said, okay. But I remember one of my guys working with me, he he was talking about how much better one of the other players is than another. And <laughs> he, the one girl's parents were were watching and apparently had a very unhappy call to the school. But anyway, though, back to the point when, you know, you see something like this with a broadcaster, you you feel for him. You do feel for him, but it's not going to keep me from rooting for the Orioles. Just a weird move by like, I guess I would say probably higher up. I don't know if they're front office, probably higher than that. I'd say probably maybe from ownership banning them. Cause I don't, I mean, if anything, it seems like a, it like a testament to how far the Orioles have come for how good they've been this year. Like it's just kind of showing like where they were and where they were now. I don't know why anyone would get upset about that. And he, to ban, even to ban like the broadcaster, like, was it even his idea to bring it up, talk about it? Or was it like the producers? Like, like it seems like they're maybe just shooting the messenger here for like no reason. But I mean, it's not the team itself. I mean, you're still going to root for the players, still going to root for the team. This seems like a management thing. So, I mean, you can still hate the management of the team and still root for like the players, but just a weird move. Now I got a question for you guys. What's the first rule of fight club? Nobody talks about about fight club. Wrong. It's fight Tim Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) That is the first and most important rule. Fight Tim Anderson. So white Sox. Roy, uh, Guardians, right? They were they got into a bit of a scrap, a little, you know, a little tussle going on around second base. So let me set the scene. Jose Ramirez, J-Ram, at the plate, knocks in a RBI double, slides headfirst on the second base. 
Tim Anderson starts straddling him a little, you know, a little uh, holding him down a little bit, getting in his way. A little J-Rem risque. J-Rem gets up. Tim Anderson and him, they start jawing a little bit, right? Tim Anderson then, you know what, says, let's, let's do this. He squares up. He's ready to go. J-Ram says, all right, you're, you're not going to disrespect me like that. You got to defend yourself. J-Ram gets in the middle. J-Ram starts to get back at him, right? Michael Kopech comes, grabs J-Ram from behind. Jose Ramirez now, he's locked up, and Tim Anderson's still there with his hands up, you know, slap fighting him almost, looking really weak, to be, to be honest with you. You know, you're not being held back, and you're not getting any shots in. And then as J-Ram's getting held back, he – throws a nice right hook in there and just knocks the daylights out of Tim Anderson. <laughs> just a sight to see. It, it was nuts, right? And I hate to say that this is the most exciting thing that's happened this Down baseball goes Anderson. season. Down but... goes Anderson! <laughs> <laughs> like, the one thing I want to say, you know how in football Odell Beckham gets that reputation of being a troublemaker and a locker room cancer? Love Odell. Love Odell, too. I don't believe that about Odell. If there's anybody in any sport who deserves that reputation, it is Tim Anderson. The stories that are coming out are almost comical. And let's let's let's, let's put a pin in but let's put a pin in that because I want to talk more about those stories. Especially well, yeah, yeah. Well, like, just, locker room locker room. But like well, so six people were suspended from this fight. Tim Anderson got six games. Ramirez got three. Emmanuel Class A got one. Now the manager from the White Sox, uh, Pedro Grifo, uh, Griffo, my bad, and Tito Francona from the Guardians, they got one. And also Cleveland's third base coach, uh, Mike Sarbaugh, he got a game. The coaches and managers, they aren't really allowed to appeal. So they're serving it. Sarbaugh has to serve his a day after Francona's because he can't be down two coaches. And then uh, Anderson and Ramirez, they both appealed. Usually when a player appeals their suspension, it does get cut down by a couple games. So I would assume Tim Anderson ends up at three games and J-Ram gets one. So the Yankees are playing the Orioles. Uh, my bad, the White Sox, you know, the early part of this week. Anderson should be serving his suspension, but instead he's he's on the roster. So we'll see how that affects it, but that White Sox locker room is a mess. And before we go into what, you know, newly acquired Yankee reliever Kenyon Middleton had to say, I do want to see if, hear your thoughts on uh if there should be fighting in baseball, if they should allow it, kind of like in hockey, or if there's just no place in the sport for it because I know how I feel. And I'll touch on that after you guys, but should they be allowed to fight? Should there be an avenue for players to square up and throw down? Well, how do you guys feel about it? I don't know. I mean, it, it seems it just it's just weird seeing it's like fun to watch them fight, but it just doesn't seem like it really fits the sport. Like it seems like it fits hockey way more than it does baseball, because like hockey's a way more physical sport than baseball. And you have the penalty box and stuff, and there's not really an equivalent for baseball. I mean, I guess you could throw them out of the game, but you know, but then they can't come back in. So it's like, why would you fight, you know, want to fight and then get you're done with you know for the whole game? And it's fun to watch, but I'm not really sure if it really has a spot in baseball just for the type of game it is. I mean, it's you know fun to see here and there, but I don't I don't think I want it to be like a regular thing. 
Yeah, there's definitely no room in baseball for this. It's one of those things that shouldn't happen. And, you know, yeah, I feel like Tim Anderson kind of had this coming. And I think it's really comical when you get knocked out and you're the one who has to serve the longest suspension. lost the fight. (laughs) So I have to mention his Twitter account is popping off on like wide receiver type cryptic stuff. Well, yeah, saying like they're going to go, yeah, they're going to catch up. But anyway, it's, it, it, it is comical in that sense. But really, there's no room for fighting in baseball. This isn't what the sport is about. Could you imagine if a guy like Aaron Judge just decided to fight Al Jose Altuve on second base in that Don't picture? Don't tempt me with a good time, Ben. Exactly. Yankee fans would love to see it. But could you imagine the carnage that would come from that? So hear me out. I think you should be able to fight as long as it takes place on the grass in the infield. Anybody can score up at any point. No weapons. But you know, you only get a couple uh, a couple shots in before it has to get broken up due to safety. You know, rock them, sock them, robots in the middle of baseball. <laughs> maybe maybe each team should be able to have those little bop them, uh, uh, blow up uh, balloon hands, or maybe those like uh, Q-tip the type cans. things, the Q-tip type things. You know, the they are the red or blue, and you hold them in the middle, and you just almost fight them like a like like a bow staff almost, something like that. Tell me that wouldn't make baseball more fun. We're talking about, you know, changing rules all season, right? Adding in a pitch clock, right? Why not actually change the game for the better and add something fun like fights? Well, maybe because I don't want my best players to end up with broken orbital bones. You know, that's why you the soft gloves. Tell me Joe Kelly getting into a fight every relief outing wouldn't be the most fun thing. No room in the sport for it. It's not that kind of game. It's not like hockey where you're running into each other and killing each other. If you're throwing 99 at my head, I feel like I have the right to give you a hook. I think Corey wants us to be like Slugfest, like MLB Slugfest for PlayStation. I love MLB Slugfest. I would would, uh, (laughs) just button mash whenever uh, whoever it was would go to fight uh, Roger Clemens on the mound. Usually I was Clemens throwing at everybody, but... My pitcher or my batter, whoever I was, always walked away the winner. I remember playing that game the most with uh, an old friend of mine, Zach Marzano, when we were kids. And we would just do everything in our power to start a fight every time. You're standing on first base, and you're just punching the first baseman to knock the ball loose so you can move to the next bag. Really fun game. Only It's a real big shame they only made like two or three of them. But uh, got to move on to uh, – the toxic clubhouse that is the White Sox. Now the Yankees acquired Kenyon Middleton as their big tr- trade deadline acquisition because God only knows they needed a reliever to really make them a playoff club. And uh, didn't they trade a reliever too? No, I, I don't know why I'm thinking they got rid of one. Nobody worthwhile. But uh, so he didn't want to shave his beard, but he said that as soon as he got the call, he ran to shave it because he knew how the Yankees played. He knew how they were, and he goes, you know what? I, as much as I loved my beard, I wanted to win. And that's how they do things there. I don't care that I shaved. I wanted to win because when you were in the White Sox, guys were miss, missing, you know, meetings. They were missing PFPs, pitcher fielding practices. Just they were showing up late to meetings or just not showing up. They were doing all these different things. And you know what? Sleeping in the bullpen, no repercussions, nothing. Like, how do you? as a general manager, a manager, a coach, or a veteran player, 
how do you see this, especially Tim Anderson, who is the vocal leader, the face of that franchise? How do you see this and not do something about it? Because this not only is a knock on you as an organization, but every single player in that clubhouse should be looked at a little less because of these stories. Another one, Yasmani Grandal, the catcher for the White Sox, right? He wasn't in the lineup the day before uh, the All-Star break, so he wanted to leave you know, a little early. He wasn't playing. He wanted to get started on his vacation to rest up and relax. Not saying that's right or wrong. It's wrong. But he, uh, you know, the word got around the locker room. Tim Anderson heard it. Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson, you know, lying down in the bathtub. And I want to picture this as more like the ice tub instead of just, you know, him in a bubble bath, bubble bath. <laughs> Because, you know, makes him a little look a little better, you know, having his rubber ducky with him or, you know, just tubs of ice. And Anderson said, F him. If he wants to leave, I'll pay for his ticket. You know, so fired up. That's what a leader does, right? Well, Grandal walked across the locker room and slapped him across the face. <laughs> now, Grandal has refuted this story, but, you know, players can refute it all they want. I feel like this actually happened. It sounds very possible. But, like... Tim Anderson now has two people hitting him in the head coming out about him in the last couple of days. How do you, how do you look at yourself and think that, you know, I'm a leader when people are saying this stuff and your locker rooms run this way. So like, how does a locker room get this bad and this toxic? And how does somebody who was, you know, just two years ago thought to be one of the brightest young shortstops in the game, one of the future leaders kind of have this fall from grace? You know, there are a lot of sources that are also backing these reports in the Middleton story, as well as the Grandall story. So it's not like these things are just coming out now, not as many for Grandall, but Middleton in that story, I did read that apparently there were multiple sources that backed Middleton's accounts. So it's not like, these are just stories. It's not like people are just trying to sabotage Jerry Reinsdorf's bowls. No, the White Sox are a toxic organization at this point. They need to blow it up. Nobody, and I mean nobody, should have a job there after this year unless your name Dylan Cease. Now, where did we hear this before that the White Sox were a garbage organization? I wonder if there was somebody who could have warned us about this, said they hated the roster construction, the front office, and just everything about this roster and this team, how they just weren't fit to play together. I just feel like somebody should have said something, you know, in March when talking about these teams, about how dysfunctional the White Sox were. If only somebody knew ball enough to pick up on that before the season. If okay, only somebody Corey. Was like that. Hey, a broke, <laughs> broken clock is right twice a day. So, but, uh, Moving away from this, let's get into some studs and duds because I really want to talk some Heen Dog. Rangers starting pitcher, former Yankee stud, Andrew Heaney. 11 and two-thirds innings, he's gone 2-0, and oh, six hits, two walks, an astounding 15 strikeouts. <clears throat> Just a great showing from Heaney, especially with Eovaldi down. You know, Scherzer not living up to it in his first start. The Rangers need somebody, and you know what? They, they might have gotten it with him. Then on the flip side, Ben Lively, Cincinnati starting pitcher. On the IL now due to an injury, maybe this is one of those phantom ones. Four innings, a loss, right? 13 hits, two walks, two strikeouts, 13 earned runs. Again, four innings, 
13 earned runs. An incredibly horrible outing for a team that, you know, was at one point fighting for their division, and I don't believe has won a game since the uh, trade deadline. Yeah, absolutely brutal for Cincinnati. It really has just been a tough stretch when we really felt like they were going to pull away with the division. Milwaukee's right back in it. Chicago's on a run. Pittsburgh's still kind of hanging around. They've had some guys show up. So, you know, really disappointing for Cincinnati, but definitely more on them later. So my stud, I'm going George Kirby. Now, he had two starts this past week, and – The first one, maybe not so great. He went five innings. He didn't get a decision. He didn't factor in, but he only allowed four hits. He allowed one run, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Pretty good outing. Well, then he turned around in Los Angeles, went seven innings to pick up the win, allowing just three hits, one earned run, struck out five, zero walks. That's good enough for a quality start. That's a fantastic outing for George Kirby. And now my dud... I'm going over to Los Angeles Dodgers starting pitcher, Bobby Miller. And while Kirby had a pretty good week, Bobby Miller has just been struggling big time as of late to the point where he might not have his spot in the rotation anymore. This guy has been absolutely brutal as of late. And in his most recent start this past week, couldn't even get out of the fourth inning, just three and two third innings gave up six hits, only one earned run, but three strikeouts, one walk, really, really struggled, couldn't get himself out of trouble, gave up a bunch of runs on top of the only one earned run he allowed, just a tough outing for him, and really it's been a tough few outings since the All-Star break and really since the calendar turned to July. My my stud this week is someone who's probably be the front runner for National League MVP if it wasn't for Acuna. Freddie Freeman, he had 13 hits, two home runs, seven RBIs, three stolen bases, batted 481, has absolutely just been tearing it up all week. I think even today, I think he got walked twice, one intentional walk. They're not even going to pitch to this guy anymore. So good. And my dud this week is a guy who's freshly traded at the deadline, former Seattle Mariner, now Arizona Diamondback, Paul Sewald. He pitched twice last week. First came in a game where Arizona was losing big, struck out three guys, no problem. But then he came in for a save, his first save as an Arizona Diamondback, and he blew the save, got the loss, gave up two hits, three earned runs, and a walk. That's just not a good start for him in Arizona. Yeah, rough outing there for uh, Seawald. But, uh, Ben, you were kind of alluding to it earlier, and I want to touch more on that. The NL Central race is really shaped up to be Probably the tightest all-around race in all of baseball. You got Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, Milwaukee all fighting. That's four out of the five teams fighting for first place. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, you know, they were first-half darlings. Pittsburgh was the first one. They started off hot. They've kind of faltered since May. Cincinnati then, you know, June, July, they were the hot team, and they've kind of fallen. Now Chicago's the hot team. They, you know, everybody thought they were going to be sellers at the deadline. Stroman, Bellinger, all going to be gone. They decided to buy instead. And they're the, they're the darling. You know, Milwaukee's always been, you know, that second fiddle. Always, you know, staying right there underneath the water, ready to snap up and take first place. They're, uh, they're still in that fight. So uh, what's your thoughts on this race? And who do you think ends up taking it? Because, this is really a fun race to watch from a division that everybody thought was uh, 
pretty garbage at uh, the beginning of the year. Yeah, and to see that not only are we seeing the NL Central not be garbage and, you know, see an actual race coming out of this, you're seeing some of these teams in the wild card race too. These teams are rolling right now. Right now we are seeing the Cubs absolutely roll. We're seeing the the we're seeing the Pirates hang around. We're seeing the Brewers take advantage of their opportunities. We're seeing, you know, the Reds, they're falling a bit, but they've been playing well as of late as, uh, you know, after what, what's uh, Ellie De La Cruz came up, you know, the, the, the Reds, they still have that energy. I'm not counting them out just yet either. You know, this is a fun race. And I really think that, you know, this, this is a team that can, these are four teams that, Maybe maybe they can win a three-game playoff series. Who knows? I mean, I personally think the NL Central is almost up for grabs for almost any of these teams. I mean, you have the Brewers in first. Cubs are a, a game and a half half out. Reds are a game and a half out. The Pirates are nine games out. The Cardinals are 10 out. So, I mean, it's going to be – it's like it almost anyone's games. And I honestly think the Reds might take it because, I mean, you're going to have Hunter Green coming back in the middle of August. Big Hunter Green guy. And – I mean, so, I mean, honestly, and it's it's just really close. And I mean, and all of them are in like contention for the wild card. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the Cubs, I think, are already in it. And the Reds are, I think, um, I think like tied for third almost. Now, John, let me ask you another question. Just kind of expanding this to the rest of the sport. In your top 10, you had the Twins. Why is that? And then, you know, give me the state of the union with the Phillies. Out of all our teams, you're the only ones really in a race. So, How's that going with the Phillies and uh, the Twins? I mean, Twins, I mean, I had them out last week, I think, but I think we had them ranked. I have them eight now. I mean, they're first in the AL Central now. I mean, they they swept Arizona this past week. They won a series against the Cardinals. I mean, they're, they're playing good ball and stuff, and I didn't really think there were much other teams that I wanted to put ahead of them. So, you know, I put them in there. I mean, maybe you could argue you want to put the the Phillies in the ranking, but I refuse to, to put them there because every time I do, I swear they they slide off a cliff and they'll go on a losing streak. So I don't, you know, so I don't want to do that. But I mean, Phillies lately, I mean, they've been going good. I mean, I don't think they have a really good shot on uh, winning the NL East here, unless the the Braves like miraculously like just implode on themselves and and just start losing everything, but. I mean, Phillies are looking good right now. It seems like they got it figured out. I mean, you just had Marsh go down with a knee injury, so that's going to hurt because they're really hurting the outfield defensive-wise. But, I mean, if they can, if Trey Turner can start hitting again and everything and Harper gets the power back for home runs, I mean, right. they're pretty much a lock, I think, for the for like a top wildcard spot. Now, Ben, for you, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on Seattle being in your top 10 because they were always a team that everybody thought was going to be good and they've kind of started off kind of poorly and they, they bounce back now. That and also, can you envision Baltimore overtaking Atlanta as the top team in the league and especially in the rankings? Yeah, so I'll start with Seattle. I think that, you know, eight and two in their last 10 when, uh, you know, we put those out. And, you know, when you look at Seattle, this is a team that's clicking everything's coming together. You know, you talk about the Angels as contenders. Well, you know, Seattle, this is a team that we thought could do it at the beginning. The Angels were a team we were questioning. I think that Seattle can be a playoff team. I think that there is a wild card up for grabs, and I think Seattle is storming to take it. 
when it comes to Baltimore and Atlanta, I think Baltimore can take it. And I think Baltimore is dealing with a tougher team behind them, uh, multiple tougher teams behind them with Toronto and Tampa Bay. Uh, I think, you know, Philadelphia, they're, they're a tough team. You don't want to discount that, but you know, Maybe that's why Baltimore doesn't have the wins, the win total that Atlanta has. But the way Atlanta is cutting through everybody in the National League, when we were talking about early on in the season that maybe the National League is just better as a whole top to bottom. That still may be true, but Atlanta, they've just been a hot knife cutting through butter. I don't think there's a team better than them right now. Now, for our weekly series highlight, I want to highlight Miami at Cincinnati in the early part of the week because those are two teams that – you know, we're in playoff spots. They're still fighting, you know, whether it's for a division or wild card in Miami's case, just two teams that really need some wins because they struggled out of the gate in the second half. You know, it's August now, so you got to pile together some more wins. So I'm interested to see how those two teams go up against each other because they're both teams in the wild card standings that are really going to be up against each other. And these head to head games are going to be really beneficial for down the line. Yeah, I'm going with Baltimore and Houston. These are two of the best teams in the American League. Houston's on fire. Baltimore, they currently own the best record in the American League. I'm I I'm I am pumped for this series. I cannot wait to see it happen. I think that Baltimore really is going to go out and make a statement. And I think that the Astros are in for a bit of a, a rude awakening coming into Baltimore because I don't know if they're taking them as seriously as they should. My weekly highlight this week's going to be, you know, some division rivalry here. You got the Dodgers facing the Diamondbacks. You know, Dodgers have been really hot lately, and Diamondbacks kind of cooled off a lot. So it'll be interesting to see if the Diamondbacks can, you know, kind of get their hot streak going again against the uh, hot Dodgers. All right. Well, that's going to do it here for us at the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Turn, tune into uh, X to hear our tweets. Outsider Sports 3 on the old Twitter uh, wannabe. Uh, Outsider Sports Net to hear our rankings. YouTube, TikTok, search up Outsider Sports. But, uh, you know, football's back into it, so keep an eye out for the football pods. Those will be dropping every week now. We're right now uh, previewing a couple teams. So just keep tuning in for that. Have a good one.